Hello, everyone, and welcome again to Wednesday Night Live. You know, um, we probably ought to change the name of this program (laughs) because for a few years we were broadcasting this live as part of our Wednesday evening service. And over the past couple of years, we have been sending this out during the day uh, onto our website for our church and for our network family. And so it's really not live. <laughs> it's live when I'm doing it. But when you're hearing it, it's it's uh, recorded. So we'll think about that. But maybe, maybe in the months to come, we will be able to get back to meeting live again on Wednesday evening. But Whatever the case may be, it's great to be able to reach out to you today. Uh, My name is Ron Crawford. I'm coming to you from the Father's Church in Dallas, Texas. And I am very happy to be able to greet my congregation, as well as our extended Saints Network family. What a blessing it is to serve our Father as, um, as His sons. And... I just want to give a a word of testimony regarding the fact that God is moving mightily on behalf of his people. Even this week, we've heard incredible testimonies of uh, the continuing hand of God as it heals people and brings about miracles. And God promised he would be doing this. His word promises this wonderful efficacy. And sometimes people, particularly in the world, but I'm sure a lot of Christians, they look for some formula that would make everything they face um, be impacted by the power of God for an immediate resolve of battle or uh, attack against you in some way. And the point is, is that God gives these promises and we have to view them through the eye of partnering with him and what his, his directives are according to his will. And um, I know that there have been, for instance, in my life, there have been times where God has dramatically healed me or provided in just incredible ways. But then there were times where I trusted in his word and I had to walk a pathway with God. The end result is restoration. But we do know that we are seeing uh, incredible miracles now. And, um, and I believe that, that God's promises are always true. Maybe you're in a position right now where you need a touch from him. I would speak to you this way. The most important touch you'll ever have in your life is that touch of the hand of your Heavenly Father 
as he looks upon you as a, a trusted son who is serving him in, in, um, in accordance with what his purpose is. And in that, if we seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, God will add everything we need. He promises that. God will add that to us. How he adds it to us is up to him. But that promise is always not only faithful, but you can you can take that to the bank. How he does it is up to him. And I know that blows holes in, in a lot of thinking that the church has and wants to have where we just we just want what we want and we want it right now and we try to back that up with with the scripture but as as someone who has been a christian for almost 60 years now and been in pastoral ministry for many years believing in the things of the spirit believing in healing having been healed many times myself having seen god move miraculously in my church I can tell you that there's no quick fix to get everything you want right now in the natural. It's God hears your prayers. He hears them right now. His promises are true. Sometimes it's instantaneous in a manifestation. But God will work all things out for the good. And there is the operative term. He will work them out. Yeah, so many times I've wanted to give counsel to God. How about you? Lord, if you just do it this way, and if you do it, oh, I got a good idea, God. Why don't you do this? How much would the glory of God be known if you would do it this way? And you get prayer chain going and you quote your bevy of scriptures and you do all the things you've heard at the latest conference and then you look and you think, okay, now in the past I've heard people say, well, you must have done something wrong or maybe you got sin in your life or maybe you, uh, you missed something. Uh, maybe you didn't quote the right verse or do the right thing or swing the right cat, you know? And it can be very dis destructive for people because then they begin to doubt God and they begin to say, well, you know, trusting in him in faith is, is not, is, it's, it just doesn't work. And then the church just drifts away from uh, a belief in partnering with God. I think... If we just know this one thing, God's always with us. He's more about the journey than he is about the end goal, because the end goal is he's always going to win. And he works things out for the good. He is faithful as promised. And, you know, when we talk about the, the Christmas story, the, the, and, and by story, I say the account. I'm not saying it's mythical, because it's very real. You see an old man named Zacharias, who he and his wife prayed for a child for decades. 
and they were really old. And it would appear that God didn't listen to them, even though they felt they were engaged in supplication. And finally, Gabriel comes in Luke 1 and says, your supplication was heard. What supplication? That was 60 years ago. But it was heard, and God moved. Even Daniel, in a, in a lighter uh, amount of time, when Gabriel appears to him and said, from the first day you offered your supplication, your, your, your prayers were heard. But it took a, a more lengthy time of engaged intercession before breakthrough came, and then it really wasn't the full breakthrough. I mean, Gabriel had to leave there and continue to contest for things in the spirit realm with demonic beings. And the the final answer of what Daniel was praying for didn't come about to where he could get in a golden chariot and head over to Jerusalem. But it did happen. And you think about um, in the nativity story, Simeon and Anna, they were both old people. And as a 64-year-old, I feel I'm in the club where I can call a spade a spade. If you're old, you're old. You know, no sense denying it. But they were both old, and God had given them promises, and yet they continued to believe, and it happened. It's only us that wants a microwave Christianity. It's partnering with God, and it's waiting on God, and it's walking step by step in faith. Miracles happen. Now, I can't explain why some people, there's an instantaneous thing, and we all rejoice. And then someone else who you love or you respect in God uh, before their accolades and walking as a, an example to others, selfless servants, why they suffer through things. I, I, I can't understand that. I never have understood that. But I do know that God is faithful to us. And, you know, the end result of it all is we're on this earth for a short time to serve God, not for him to serve us, but to serve God. And when our life passes, we're going to be in eternity. And that, as Solomon said, is, is just like a, a something that's here and then boom, it's gone. All right? When I was young, I, you know, on all of us are this way. When you're younger, unless you're just morbid, you think you're going to live forever. You see older people and you, you don't recognize you're, you're heading there. No matter what you do, no matter how many workouts you go to, no matter how many organic nutrients you take, you're going to get old. And it's appointed unto all of us once to die. And life goes by quick. Life really does. I hope to live a lot longer to serve my father and to be a help to my family. But um, I wonder, I look back and I see, where did, where's the year? where have the years gone? Where have they gone? 
I still think a lot of times like I'm my mind, my brain thinks I'm 16 or 17 years old. And if you ask certain people, sometimes I act much younger than that. But the end result is that God is with you and he is faithful to you. And, and I look over certain aspects of my life where I ask God for things and I'm so grateful that with all of my faith and all the whammy of my prayers, I did not get what I asked for. I'm so grateful for that because I look back and in retrospect I see that God has carefully orchestrated my path. And he's always with us. And the key point is we've studied in the scriptures about the you know, the the way the Bible describes the Spirit of God. And, you know, I remember when I was in Bible college and in seminary in a particular denomination, we would talk about the types of the Spirit. We would talk about the dove. We would talk about the water. We would, you know, we would talk those things. And those are all good. We really didn't ever talk about the Spirit of judgment and burning. We didn't talk about the spirit of grace and supplications. We didn't talk about those kinds of things, or the seven spirits, the lamps before the throne, or the seven eyes of God. We didn't talk about Well, We may have read over them, but we read over them quick, and we sure didn't underline them. But those are depictions of how God does what he does, who he is, his ways. And the only one of them the only one of those biblical depictions that speaks about intercession and prayer is the spirit of grace and supplications. And grace is everywhere in the Bible. It's, it's not God just doing you a favor every now and then. Like it just drops unmerited favor. Like it just drops out of the sky. That's the doctrinal definition well, that could be anything. That could be a bird flying overhead. But grace is a partnership with God. For what? For what God is going to do, what he wants to do, into the new horizon. Grace is always reaching upward and forward. And biblically, to partner in grace, you have to be willing to offer supplication. Supplication is a lifestyle. Supplication is the type of prayer that draws near to God and speaks with him about what he is doing and what your role as an intercessor is in that pathway. That's grace and supplication. That's why God's throne is a throne of grace. It's not you come up and there's a you know, to the throne of God, and you've got your list of, of uh, your Santa's list of things that you want to have done, and, you know, hopefully he'll dollop some favor out on you. That's what most people think. And if you come boldly, I mean, if you're just brash and you insist and you won't go away, whoo, you're going to get it then. You're going to get it all right. Now, I never liked somebody that was bold in that way uh, it, it, to me there are some ways that you have to take a stand 
and insist on what you're supposed to be. But somebody that just comes after you and just makes themselves an irritant, nobody likes that. And we could talk about the unjust judge and the importunity. That's a different discussion. But the throne of grace is not you coming up to badger God or to sword fight with Satan in front of the throne. Grace is that measure of hearing something that God wants to do and you saying, I will join with you and I will be an intercessor. I will be a voice on behalf of what you want to do in grace. This is how Joseph found grace. This is how Noah found grace. This is how great grace was upon the church. This is how Hannah, whose name is Grace in the Old Testament, you know, she believed God and Samuel was a result. But it wasn't easy. None of those things are easy. You ask, when you get to heaven, ask Noah about that unmerited favor that plopped down on his head and he wasn't looking for it. He just skipped his way on the golden sidewalk through the tulips (laughs) Noah that grace cost Noah but it was invested into the heart of God so grace is something that God extends to those to whom he is wanting to engage in partnership in accordance with his plan You say, well, how are we saved by grace? Well, think about that for a minute. Just in the definition, if you were a sinner, and we all were, you were in the miry clay. When God's grace came to you, what did that do? Well, you had to accept it. You had to say, I accept you. I I don't want to live this way anymore. In this condition, there's a brighter path ahead of me. There is the ultimate meaning for mankind ahead of me. So I want to step up out of this into the new. Isn't that true? I, I don't think any theologian would say that when the grace of God in salvation is... Uh, in, uh, is affecting a person that they just stay in the muck that they were in and then they just sit there in that muck and ask God to keep pouring out dollops on them no you should be moving forward and and according to the to the to the bible you should be growing in grace and you know the last verse in the bible is may the grace of our lord jesus christ be upon you all amen So grace is that measure of favor where you step into a partnership with God and that's your identity. And what his tasks are, are your priority. We've studied this at length in the past. And I... I, Wanted to. Uh, we're going to look in, in Luke 1 and then in Acts 7. We've got plenty of time to do that. Those are the scriptures that the Lord gave me. But I wanted to tell you what started us on this pathway of study today. Um, 
this morning, very early, I looked at the clock, it was 2.45, I woke up and I knew it was one of those times where the Lord woke me up. And honestly, my first thought was, I love you, Lord, uh, but I really want to go back to sleep because I need rest. I, I ask forgiveness to the Father for thinking that. That's what I thought. But then I recognized that after I told him I loved him, and I meant that from my heart, that my spirit was being drawn to engage in intercession. So I begin to pray. I begin to pray in the spirit, and as uh, as I would think on, then the Bible tells us if you pray in an unknown tongue, if you speak in an unknown tongue, you should pray to interpret. That's one hundred and one. That's what we should do. And the things that the Father put on my heart, I was just declaring them and and speaking them forward. And then I. I kind of drifted off to sleep. I was in a kind of a quasi quasi awake and sleep and I was standing in the, in the part of our sanctuary which was kind of between in the, in the altar area kind of between where the piano ends and where the pulpit begins. And I know that place has really sig- great significance for us as uh, as a church and as a network it's a place of healing, it's a place of of visitation. Not long ago, a prophet Monica Terrell in our church saw the, the footprint of God there, um, and so I know this is very interesting. But I, I'm looking, I'm standing there, and I looked up above the pulpit, and I saw letters suspended in the air, and it said, "Great favor." And and a favor was spelled in King James English, so I know it had to be from God. <laughs> and I remember in the in the in the quasi state of dream, just standing there looking at that. And and I I took pause because I knew in the dream, the night vision what that meant from Scripture. And it seemed like I stood there for quite a while. Now, the last time something similar to this happened, and I won't regale as the same story, but it was from a few years ago where I saw the name Elohim written in that same place above the pulpit. But I was from the very back of our sanctuary looking up. And there was it was in a point of vulnerability, and we lived that we lived that over these past few years, where God has been drawing us into the deeper places of who He is in our study of the Scriptures about Elohim and its very fa- various facets. That's not our teaching today, but today, I believe that God is saying that we're entering into a season of great favor and favor. In the the Bible, the the New Testament and the Old Testament is usually grace. It's the term grace. Now, in Luke one, well, so what does that mean for us? 
I think that we're going to see the actualization of a lot of things we've been believing for in God, and we're going to move forward in grace. We're going to see the actualization of things we believe for. And we're also then going to be entrusted with new measures of gaining a partnership with God and moving with him. Now, you can regale yourself of past teachings. I wrote a couple of books about grace. Um, You can look through the scripture yourself and see the way grace is used. That's the best way to define what a word means, to see how the Spirit used it. Don't try to wedge your your easy-peasy doctrinal definition into it. See what the Scripture says about it. Because your your candy-coated definition is probably not going to fit in a lot of these passages. It just doesn't. So, I talked about Zechariah and Mary. Let's read Luke 1, verse 28. The angel Gabriel came in to Mary and said, Hail, you are highly favored, and favor there is grace. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying. We talked about that on Sunday. And cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said to her, Fear not, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Favor is grace. What was that grace? Well, it was a miracle unlike any that had happened or ever will happen. The virgin birth. It was the coming of Jesus, the Son of God, Son of Man, to restore, to offer the only way for men and women to know the Heavenly Father. Not know of, but know Him. And to enter into the pathway of sonship and partnership in grace. This was the ultimate measure of grace. It's very interesting that Zacharias, earlier in this chapter, and I mentioned him earlier in this message, um, Gabriel referenced his supplication. So you had Zacharias and uh, Elizabeth offering supplication, and obviously it wasn't just for John. It was for presenting themselves to be used by God. Maybe the Spirit said that he would be a prophet, John, their son, would be a prophet, that he would be a friend of God. I don't know what all was said, but they believed for that. And over the course of time, a long time, that supplication paved the way not only for John to be born, miraculously, for what his role would be in preparing the way for Jesus, but also, most likely, for what Mary and Joseph were doing. That supplication was powerful, but it was supplication and it was grace with Mary. There you have grace and supplication. That's, that's wonderful. Now, 
I just want to step down and talk about how this virgin birth, how it happened. Um, it says, when Mary asks this thing, verse 34, how shall this be, saying, I haven't engaged in any activities with men? And the angel said, the Holy Ghost will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. That's interesting. The Holy Ghost come upon you. This is one of the seven spirits of God, the saintly pneuma, that hagias pneuma. And it, to come upon means to just be present and to be active. Something comes upon that is, it's game on. There's nothing sexual about it. There's nothing um, nothing of a lurid type of the thing. Uh, but then it says that the, um, the power, the dunamis of the highest will overshadow you. Dunamis is function. And that function was in regard to the ultimate objective from the throne of God, Elyon. What God wanted to partner with mankind in the high places. Abram was called friend of the Most High. The jealousy of God, the partnership with God was with him. Melchizedek said that. And anytime you have the highest, the angels, the angel group that came and spoke to the shepherds on the hillside said, glory, that partnership with God to fulfill his purpose um, to God in the highest. This, the ultimate objective that God wanted with mankind would be there. And so the functionality of that, that dunamis, the power, would overshadow Mary and the Holy Ghost would be upon her and be with her and would fill her. You know, I I just think it's it's amazing. There didn't have to be any any type of of miscreant thought which people often give to this in the world. God did this. God himself came while all the while preserving her virginity. And I don't know how that could be, but it was. How does God move in you? Does he come and manhandle you? Or woman handle you? Or handle handle you? Well, sometimes he stirs you up. Some of you needed a few lumps to, to get with a program. I say that loosely. I'm not speaking out any doctrine. The lump doctrine. We don't want that. But God didn't force you to do anything. You partner with God. It's God that does the work. It's God that makes it happen. And you think, how did he do that? Only We say things like, only God could do that. Because we don't see it happening in the natural. And boom, as the old hymn says, boom, there it is. So, I... I just think, though, that what Gabriel says is the dunamis of the Most High is over you. 
and the Holy Ghost is upon you. Would that that would be said of us, and I believe it has been said, we want the overshadowing of the power of what God in the highest places wants to accomplish, to be as Abraham, the friend of God. And we want the active drive and empowerment of the Holy Ghost to be upon us. And and I just think that is incredible. So great favor. I speak that over our church, over our network family. Great grace over you in this season for this next year. I don't know a length of time. And I would suspect that by virtue of where I was standing, where I saw that, that it indicated there would be phenomenal measures of the visitation of the Spirit to heal, to work the miraculous for the glory of God. See, I've been around enough to know that the presence of a healing or a miracle as wonderful as it is, does not in itself guarantee that the purpose of God is going to be forwarded at all. I've seen people who call out to God and God answers them, and then over the next week or so, they get back right into the routine of what they had been doing. And, you know, we've we've witnessed that kind of mentality. So we're not asking for miracles just for a functional display of the hand of God. We want to be furthered in the pathway of God, to see what our Father's will would be. You know, that's how Jesus healed. He would heal and work miracles so that he could demonstrate what he was there to introduce and to teach. Jesus went everywhere preaching, teaching, and healing. He proclaimed and he taught, and healing came. The Apostle Paul spoke about the apostolic calling, and he says, with all patience and signs and wonders. My, seems like if Paul really understood faith, he would fling those signs and wonders up to the front because that would get people's attention and, my goodness, the end-time harvest could be brought in. (laughs) Aren't you glad God doesn't listen to us? This is God's way. So, great grace was upon her. Great favor for us. What did that mean for Mary? Well, think about it. We know this account. She had to go and tell Joseph, or the angel told Joseph, that whole process was rough, as you might expect it would be. Then, everybody in the town, including her family, knew that she wasn't married. No, she's growing. How do you explain that? And the Bible says she went with haste. 
And there's only, you know what with haste means? It means with haste. She got after it. And she went to the place that Gabriel spoke of. She went to Elizabeth and Zechariah. And she was there. Why? Because everybody else was giving her the stink eye. That's not a biblical phrase. But that's what they were doing. Tongues were wagging. People were shunning her. And then the effect on Joseph. They they were gone. Then it gets better. There went out a, a, a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. So off they go. Mary was great with child. And my oldest daughter is great with child right now. She's great in all things, but she was great with child. She's got a nice Acura to ride around in. Mary was riding on something that wasn't real comfortable. It gets to Bethlehem. There's no place for them to stay. And the baby's coming. Ah, wow. Well, that dollop of grace that fell from heaven that put them on the easy street, sure, where'd it go? This was grace. The baby is born miraculously, wonderfully. Not long after that, <laughs> Herod's trying to kill all the children, including Jesus. So they have to go to Egypt. Wait, I thought God's people got out of Egypt. Yeah, they did. Well, here they are back again. This is grace. But the miracle was happening. It cost them their life. But it was worth it because they were partnering with God. Now, there are a lot of verses about grace. And again, I would encourage you to rekindle your understanding of the biblical definition and the biblical uses of this wonderful word, especially since I believe that as, as your pastor and as your, your brother in the walk of the saints, that God has spoken this to us. But I want us to look at one of them, Acts chapter 7. This is kind of a, an, unusual, um, an unusual passage of Scripture that I don't really believe that we've spent much time on. Uh, Acts chapter 7, beginning at verse 44. And um, this talks about a lot of things that maybe you have not thought about. and um, But it nevertheless is something that uh, we, we truly need to see. Um, this is the story of Stephen, who was a man full of faith and power. We know the end result of what happened with Stephen. Boy, grace did him a lot of, of earthly favor, didn't it? <laughs> I'm playing. This was a glorious word. But he's preaching this message. And a part of it, he says, beginning in verse 44, Our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness, as he had appointed, speaking unto Moses, that he should make it according to the fashion that he had seen. 
which our fathers that came after brought in with Jesus. Now, this is Joshua. This wasn't a Old Testament visitation of Jesus. This is really a, it was an accurate translation, but it wasn't really what should have been written here. This was Joshua. And you can look that up. It just, because Jesus is Joshua. Jesus is the the Hellenistic form of, of that. So, uh, Joshua brought it in unto the possession of the Gentiles. That happened at Shiloh. And whom God drove out before the face of our fathers unto the days of David, who found grace before God and desired to find a tabernacle for the God of Jacob. Solomon, but Solomon built him a house. Albeit the Most High dwelleth not in temples made with hands, as saith the prophet, Heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. What house will you build me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Has not my hand made all these things? And then Stephen kicks it in the high gear. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in hearts and ears, you do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did so. <laughs> a couple verses later, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth. Boy, that I don't think any of you underlined that in your Bible, did you? I don't even think you find Grandma's Bible. I don't think she highlighted that verse. It's not one of the more popular. But Stephen says this about David. And he says something interesting about grace. David, we know, was able to get the ark after an initial try that didn't go so well. And in grace, he desired to find a tabernacle. Now, desire there is our old friend, Iteo, A-I-T-E-O. It is a type of prayer that is something that someone in authority would ask a person that is a higher authority. And it's a very interesting study. We've done it. And it's it's how Jesus said in the middle of that extended red period in the middle of John, he said, this is when I go to my father, this is what you're going to be doing. You're going to be asking, I tell. And, and a derivative of this is used in the epistles to speak about our petitions. Petition isn't your laundry list. A petition is something that the heart of God placed within you to, to begin to ask for and believe for, and you remember those things, and you don't badger God with them, but you take a stand with them. These are things that you know God is going to do, and you don't forget them. I tell you, David was moving in grace. He knew that God wanted to do something with that tabernacle, uh, with that ark. He knew that God wanted a tabernacle built, which he would do in conjunction with Samuel. We knew that David was asking God for this. Now, we often think that David just had his heart set on the temple. That next came in verse 47. Solomon, his son, built him a house. And we know all of that story. David 
operated from the tabernacle, wanting the temple, that Manuka place of God to be built. And then as soon as Solomon built that, Solomon took the prayer that David would pray, that template of the prayer, and, and then he said, he exchanged, we want to build a temple. He exchanged that with, we want to send forth from this place tabernacles. David wanted to send forth from the tabernacle temple, and Solomon wanted to send forth from the temple tabernacles. So the issue is that when you move in grace, the tabernacle of David is the Gentile church, according to what the scripture says. When you move in grace, God is going to want to be establishing in grace a tabernacle of meeting with him, of establishing of his kingdom, of welcoming his kingdom. That's going to be done by grace, and you're going to be engaged in partnership with God, as David did, asking specific things about that and seeing it happen. Great grace. The grace of God in David did this. And then God says, okay, you see this example of David and his son Solomon. And, but the Most High, which is overshadowing Mary, and the Most High, which Abram was a friend of, um, the Most High says, that he doesn't dwell in temples made with hands. The prophet said that. Heaven is my throne, the earth itself is my footstool. Where is the meeting place that you will build me? What is the place of my rest? I love this. I'm giving you a lot of things. See, you thought I was just going to talk about the angel choir and talk about the vision and everything. You're going to have to think a little bit here. The place of my rest, katapausis. You know, when you study pausis in the Greek language, at its heart it means to enjoy the satisfaction of something completed. Not just kicking back, saying my work's done, but to enjoy the satisfaction of something completed. This harkens back to the Sabbath principle, the seventh day, where God says, you've partnered with me in my ways through the first six days, and now we gather together to give thanks, to rejoice at what's been accomplished, and what's been accomplished, and we look forward into the new day. Eight is the new beginning. We look forward into the new day. That's what is communicated here with catapausis. And our end objective is to say, Father, we're partnering with you in grace. Our supplication is asking and declaring things that you are putting in our heart to do. Our objective is to walk with you, to partner with you, to see what you want to have done, accomplished. And as we do that, we're going to come to a point of transition. We're changed from glory to glory. We don't come to a point of glory and just camp out there. There is a change that must happen then for us to pursue the next demonstration of God's glory. This is what has killed so many moves of the Spirit in the past because people enter into glory and they just want to talk about it, sing about it, and just build their cabin there in the corner of glory land. 
Hold that fort, for he is coming. We want to be settlers and not pioneers. And God says, when you come to a point of accomplishment of my task, then I'm going to change you. You're going to build from that into the next phase of partnership with me and pursuing pursuing my glory through grace. This is the tabernacle of David. This is the grace that David had. This is how David desired, I tell, the accomplishment of that. That should be the hallmark of the Gentile church as we prepare for the coming of the kingdom. And um, when this gospel of the kingdom is preached to the whole world for the witness, then will the end come. And that's, that's the truth of the matter. And it's not just who can build the biggest edifice, the biggest church, and have all the people flock to it like the new mall in town, and um, everybody feel real good about themselves being able to accomplish. That's the base of the general church. But if you don't have saints and people that are going to press forward to the next thing, you're not really accomplishing what God wants. So, great favor, great grace. That's the theme for this new year, this new season, however long it will last. And with that, we're going to see the accomplishment of many things that God has promised. We're going to see them manifested in front of us but we must not be deceived in thinking that's the be-all, end-all, or let that dumb us down, or let that cause us not to be hungry. The plowman has to overtake the reaper. You're filled, yes, but you've got a hunger for more. We must go forward. Solomon did not do that. In fact, Stephen spoke earlier in his triumphant sermon uh, about things that were really not, um, <laughs> I, I would think, not favorable to God that the people of God had done. And, um, you know, in verse 40 of that chapter, um, they made gods to go before them, and and it, it's just, it's it's awful. God help us as the visitation comes, to enjoy that, but to keep pressing onward in grace. There's a lot of work yet to be done. We've not even begun fully to see the things that our partnership with God has portended. We've not, even when the continuation of miraculous demonstrations happen. That, in all honesty, as wonderful as it is, and as fulfilling as that is, and as delightful that is, that's for the purpose of showcasing the message and the invitation that God has given us. And we have to keep that in perspective. So great favor. Great favor. I... I woke up then and got over here early, which I love doing. First of all, because I just like being here in the early morning hours. 
And I also like not having to battle traffic um, <laughs> at rush hour. But be that as it may, I thought, I thought about this great favor. And, and I proclaim that grace upon each of you. And that we will grow in grace. You know, the Bible says that great grace was upon the early church. But that they grew, we must grow in grace. And that, again, you can look this for yourself. That was a watchword for the early church. So many of the epistles began with grace, mercy, communication with God, commune with him, and peace, the fulfillment of what God says, be to you. That was the greeting. And it was also the summation of many of those letters. And that's our watchword, but it should be. But we are moving forward. The timetable of God is wonderful. So I speak great grace over every one of you. And what better time of the year than this nativity remembrance to remember how grace and supplication impacted the coming of Jesus and the coming of the the friend of the bridegroom. This is this is God's way. I speak that you would find a renewed passion to spend time with him before the throne of grace. And and I I say that at, at this Christmas season, God's grace would just overwhelm you, that the Holy Ghost would come upon you, and that the dunamis, the power, the functionality of the Most High would be over you. You know, dunamis is really, it's one of the five power words in the New Testament very clearly spelled out the progression of them in numbers of passages. But dunamis is really a, a demonstration of the spirit of burning. You know, judgment and burning. Um, judgment is the mishpat. It is what God wants to do. It's what the identity on the breastplate of the priest was. It's what God has said. And burning is the functionality of it, the demonstration of it. And that's what dunamis is. Dunamis is function. It's what God has wanted to do. It's the awakening of function. And it's the functionality of function. And so, grace is, is a tremendous a tremendous gift for us. It, it is, it's the pathway of partnership with God. It, it is the way that, that God extends his hand of partnership to us. And um, it's, it's such a, a wonderful, wonderful privilege to be able to see that. And you know, in Acts 4, when it says that great grace was upon all of them, uh, that grace is 
another one of the power words. It's megas. And that's how, that's how the power and the visitation of God visits the terrain and spreads. A derivative of megas, maison, is the greater works that we must do as Jesus ascended to the Father. Greater works than these will you do. You can't top what Jesus did, but you can take it and go to the ends of the earth under the direction of the Spirit. That's the greater works. <clears throat> so, great grace in Acts 4 is megas carries. It's that grace of God that comes and touches the place where you are and you spread forward in expansion for the glory of God. Great favor to each of you. And I receive and accept that <clears throat> upon this house and upon our calling as the houses of the saints and and um, the, the dwelling places of the saints. What we're called to do in partnering with God to restore what he has ordained. So, when Gabriel comes and says, Hail Mary, you are highly favored, you are highly graced, and he keeps repeating, he's repeated, he repeated that. Mary was the ultimate example of God's grace, but she was an example of it. Because throughout the Bible, grace is God's extension to people who will rise up with him to accomplish something that seems impossible, something that is the next horizon, something, that orange glow of the new day. We move forward. And you war on behalf of that. I said I wasn't going to teach on this, but it's part of it. In, uh, in Zechariah, Who art thou, great mountain that stands before Zerubbabel? You will fall with shoutings of grace. Grace, that double issuance, that intimacy, that fulfillment. We're going to see mountains disintegrate and fall. But for what purpose? Why would, why would we get any pleasure out of a mountain falling or being cast into the sea so that the way is plain, the way of the Lord, so that the righteous nation that God is building may enter in? See, that's the benefit. It's not just, oh, come and see, this mountain was here and now it's gone. Woohoo! No, if the mountain moves, you best get moving. When the sea parts, you better get through it. You don't pause for pics. Send out on your newsletter. Let everybody know how great you are. Pave the way for your three-part series that you sell at conventions. Great grace to you in this Christmas season. Great grace. Great favor upon the people of God. Well, Okay, um, thank you for joining with me today, and um, 
I want to remind you that Christmas Eve, which is a week, not this Friday, but a week from Friday. What date is that? December 24th, of course. We'll have a 6 p.m. candlelight service here at our church in Dallas, and we'll be sending that out for those of you who want to participate um, with us in communion and in the candlelight service. Um, I'm so thankful that it's on archive because many people, just just for the privilege of being together as a saint's family, many people will watch that on Christmas Day, especially in countries to our east where the you know, seven hours ahead in in uh, Europe, and then nine hours ahead in in some of the African um, nations, and then in India, eleven and a half hours ahead. You know, they they uh, they like the archive for Christmas Day, but mark that down. We'll be doing that this year, and um, and then also be watchful. God is going to be leading us as saints to engage together in. Um, a prophetic type of prayer for the new year. I don't know what all that's going to be yet. That's a few weeks away, so just look for that announcement. So God bless you. Have a wonderful week. Stay safe and well. I again, again, speak great grace upon each of you. And until next time, thanks for listening. May God bless you, and goodbye.